So, are there degrees of coincidence? What do do you believe about coincidence? Maybe you're like this guy that, that says, that, that looks at a pincushion and and throw it up there, guys, and says, hey, do you ever notice that your pink cushion looks exactly like me? That's, that's really weird. Or, or if you're an NFL fan, National Football League, is it coincidence that the Chicago Bears symbol looks like a toilet seat? <laughs> or maybe you... <laughs> Can't win. Maybe... Uh, you remember back to school and you remember the Greek symbol, uh, mathematical symbol pi. You may even remember that, that the numerical representation of pi is 3.14 and some change. But what you may not remember or may not know is that if you hold the numerical representation 3.14 up to a mirror, it spells out pi. Now, is that coincidence or not? I don't know. You know, and these are cute illustrations. And life can seem to be a series of random coincidences, random occurrences, random events, can it? I mean, from everything from small things like getting in the wrong line at traffic, in traffic, or, or losing your car keys, little things like that, to big things like earthquakes. Then it's not quite so funny anymore, is it? And, but, but what are we what are we to make of that? I mean, is life is life random and haphazard and arbitrary? What what are is there more to it than that? And and that's the question I invite you to lean into this morning because I'm not going to argue whether there are big coincidences and little coincidences. I'm going to argue that there's no such thing as a coincidence. And you might think, are you kidding me? Did you not see the lucky bounces that were going on here? Have you never heard of people that were in the wrong place at the wrong time? Have you not heard the story about the lady that let the man cut in front of her at the line and suddenly she draws the winning lottery ticket? Have you not heard stories like that? Yeah, I've heard them. I just don't believe they're coincidence. Albert Einstein is not known as a great theologian, but even he said that coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous. See, I believe that every one of us experiences many more God experiences, God encounters than, than, than we even recognize. And my question is, does the word of God speak into this idea of coincidence. Because I believe that it does, and we're going to look at three life principles today. And these principles are designed to create a prism through which you can view life's occurrences, life's happenings. Or maybe you can create a paradigm through which you can understand the life happenings around you. And it's important that we get this. It's important that you understand this because if you don't get this, if you don't get this understanding of God's, the way God's working around you, if you don't get this, you're going to be confused by life, by the stuff that happens in life. 
If you don't get this, you're going to miss seeing God's presence around you. So here's life principle number one, and you may have heard this. It's not original with me. Henry Blackaby said it first, I believe. He said, God is always at work around you. Life principle number one is God is always at work around you. He's in work around you through people and circumstances, things that those that are living unaware of God would probably call chance or coincidence. But as Paul would write in the book of Philippians, he says, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Jesus said in John chapter 5, he said, every day my father's at work and I will be too. So whether you recognize it or not, whether you choose to acknowledge it or not, God is at work around you. The question is, why? Why is God at work around you? And the answer is to restore you to that harmonious relationship with him that he designed for you at creation. That's why he's at work around you. See, God's at work in the lives of the people around you, your friends, your co-workers, your family, your boss, that guy that cut you off in traffic. He's at work in the lives of those people to bring you into a more intimate relationship with him. And you might say, well, how, how does that work? Well, I'll tell you how it works in my life. God knows that I am not the most patient person in the world. And yes, I realize that we just finished a six-week series about the fruits of the Spirit, and patience is one of them. That's just an illustration that God's got a lot of work to do. But I've come to recognize that God uses opportunities in my life to show me how impatient I actually am. Whether it's sitting in traffic or airport delays or lines at the store or slow internet service, uh, no internet service, no phone service, or maybe one of those automated customer service things that you have to talk to. I don't know if you realize it, but you may be looking at the world record holder for somebody to say representative to a machine. I think I hold that record. You know, but it's, it's not just that. God has used a variety of things in my life to show me what in my relationship with him is most important. He's used jobs that I've lost, jobs that I've found. He's used podcasts. He's used people. He's used the Bible. He's used the evening news. He's used just everyday life to show me what about my relationship with him is important. You know, I'm, I'm here right now because God kicked me out of my comfortable nest. He used a couple people to give me spiritual n- nudges. He led me to find out about Grace Point in a two-line email. And then he used his word to give me direction. See, I don't believe that it's coincidence or happenstance that you're here today. When you got up this morning, you may not have planned to be at Grace Point. But here you are. Now, yes, I I believe in free choice and I believe in, in free will. But today, for this time and place, God prompted you and you chose to be here. 
question is why? Why would God do that? And I'm not going to presume on what God's answer is for you, but it could be that God wants you to experience this godly, encouraging community like Carly was talking about. It could be that God has you here because there's something that somebody's going to say to you that God wants you to hear. It could be that you're here in order to recognize where God's at work around you. See, my aim is to encourage you to move toward God, to move toward the idea that God has a design for your life. And you might be sitting here and saying, I don't even know that there is a God. That's okay. My prayer is that you will realize, you'll come to realize that God is still at work around you. And so that's life principle one, that God is always at work around you. And so with that as a backdrop, I'm going to spend the bulk of our time this morning in life principle number two, which is God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. I want to draw your attention to a passage that normally is looked at during the Christmas season. This is Galatians chapter 4. If you've got your Bible, you can look there or look it up on the, on the app. And while you're doing that, I want to tell you about Paul, who's the guy that wrote Galatians. Paul was the guy that was so completely clueless about God's work around him that he was actually arresting and killing Jesus followers. Until God got his attention with a voice from heaven and a blinding light. And when Paul's eyes were opened, both literally and figuratively, he came to understand that God was at work around him, what God was about, that God could work around him even on an obscure, dusty road to Damascus. So let's look at this passage that he wrote to the, to the Galatian church many years later. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, it says, But when the fullness of, time, of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's an amazing passage on many different levels. Let's start with the beginning where it says in the fullness of time. And what does that mean? I mean, in your translation that you're reading, it might say at the right time or it might say at the set time. But what does it mean that God, in the fullness of time, sent Jesus, his son, into our time and space? What does that mean? See, Thousands of years prior to this, God had promised a deliverer, a savior for all of mankind. An event that is so pivotal, so incredible, that all of human history pivots around this one event, his coming. Jesus' coming divided all history between B.C. and A.D., I mean, you realize, don't you, that anytime someone uses a calendar, they are tacitly acknowledging Jesus is coming, right? 
But what does it mean, the fullness? The fullness, what does that mean? It's the idea of a pregnant woman who has finally reached the exact moment of birth. And what Paul is saying is the world was pregnant, poised in anticipation of an event that would change everything. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, does that mean that in all of human history, there was one specific time, one perfect time, when everything was perfectly aligned for the coming of Jesus? I believe that's exactly what it's saying. That Jesus entered into our time at precisely the perfect time. Now, it's fair to ask, why 2,000 years ago? Why in such an obscure land? Why, why in, such a, in such a backward time? I mean, the people of God have been, have been looking for their deliverer for a really long time. They had been anticipating their deliverer for a really long time, for centuries. Centuries had gone by, and it's fair to ask, what made that time perfect? Why didn't Jesus come sometime in the centuries before that? Why didn't he come sometime in the centuries after that? I mean, if he were to come today, can you imagine what would happen with Twitter and Instagram? I mean, what? It would blow the socks off Twitter and Instagram. But he came when he did because God's timing is perfect. See, God in his sovereignty has a design. Because he knows our need far better than we know ourselves. See what Paul wrote. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law. To do what? To redeem those who were under the law. So that they might receive adoption as sons. Realize that God's redemptive plan for humanity, that is, this harmonious relationship with him, is not a divine afterthought. God's redemptive plan for humanity is not a divine afterthought. There was an unknown author who wrote that if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need was technology, well, he would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need was money, he would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, and so God sent us a Savior to redeem those who were under the law. To redeem means to pay a debt. See, there's a debt that we naturally owe because of our sinfulness. And God didn't just cancel the debt and say it doesn't exist anymore. He said, oh, yes, there's there's a debt to be paid. He said, but I'm going to have Jesus pay that debt in full. And because Jesus paid that debt in full, there's reconciliation. That's what made reconciliation with God even possible. It says, redeem those who are under the law. It says, but see, the law was given to help people understand the depths of their sinfulness, that they were incapable of keeping all the rules so that they'd be ready to accept the cure for that sin. And that cure was Jesus. At the moment of fullness, Jesus was born. 
See, God's design was to have Jesus enter into our world in what we now call the first century. And here's what I know. It wasn't coincidence. It wasn't coincidence. It was the perfect time. Jesus came into our, into our existence at the perfect time culturally. Because, see, God used the Greeks in 333 B.C., Alexander the Great had conquered the entire known world and Greek culture and Greek philosophy dominated everything. And if you've seen my big fat Greek wedding, you know that the Greeks invented a whole lot of really good stuff, or at least they claim to. But one thing they did when they took control of the entire known world is they introduced a universal language. When they were in control, when they conquered the world, Greek became the cool language. And it wasn't very long after a few years that everybody could speak a little Greek. There were some that could read and write Greek. All the documents in Greek. Which means it was the perfect environment for the spread of the gospel. And what do you know? Within 50 years, all the Hebrew scripture had been translated into Greek. See, God brought everything together to translate what we now call the Bible into something that the entire known world could understand because it was in Greek. God's timing is perfect. So it was the perfect time culturally, but it was also the perfect time politically because God used the Romans. So the Greeks are in control for 270-something years. And this all happens, the translation of the scripture. Sixty years before Jesus was born, Rome conquered the Greeks. And they set up one government over the entire world. And for 200 years, there was a period of peace. The world has not seen 200 years of world peace before or since that time. To connect their empire, the Romans built a lot of roads. They were so good at it that some of these roads still exist today. The significance of that is that it made travel so much easier and because there was peace, so much safer. So what that means is that for a 100 years after the birth of Jesus until the fall of the Roman Empire, when the good, news of, the good news of God's design for humanity, when it was in its infancy, Jesus' followers could safely travel the entire known world sharing the gospel. That would have been impossible in any other era. In fact, it would be impossible today to physically go to the entire known world with the gospel. And yet, There's this 200-year window in which it could happen. And it just happened to occur when the Scripture, when, when the gospel was in its infancy. A little aside, do you know that the gospel was introduced to Britain by Roman soldiers that were stationed there? See, God's timing is perfect. So it's the right time culturally, the right time politically. Most importantly, 
It was the right time spiritually. The Romans and the Greeks brought religious systems with thousands of gods and thousands of goddesses. And by the time of Jesus coming, there was a dissatisfaction with the capricious nature of these gods that the Romans and the Greeks worshipped. Greek philosophy and Greek science had left people spiritually empty. Roman rule had, had made all of the Jews hungry for this deliverer that had been promised. And so, in the fullness of time, God came in human form. Now, Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor at that time. And if you've been to any kind of Christmas service, you've heard the story about how he issued an edict that everybody, he wanted to take a census of the known Roman world and everybody had to return to their place of original origin so they could be counted. And because of this edict, a pregnant woman and her husband made a history-changing journey to Bethlehem. See, God used a godless government, a godless dictator, to issue an edict so that Mary and Joseph would take this 80-mile journey to Bethlehem so that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem where he had been prophesied to be born 700 years earlier. You can look it up in Micah chapter 5. Is that coincidence? Hardly. Hardly. God's timing is perfect. But, it, but it's not just prophecy. Do you know that there were lambs that were born and bred and raised to be sacrificed at the temple in Jerusalem? But these, these lambs were, were raised in a place nearby Jerusalem, in a specific place, before they were taken to the temple to be sacrificed. That specific place was Bethlehem. Which means... That Jesus, the Lamb of God, was born in the exact same place as the lamb, the physical lambs that were destined for sacrifice. And they were, de- they were sacrificed in the same place in Jerusalem. Coincidence? I don't think so. Or how about this? You know, we don't see many olive presses these days. If you were here during our uh, Good Friday walkthrough, you may have heard about this, but olive presses were needed in the time of Jesus. They would take a big stone and they would put olives all over it and then they would roll across it with another big stone so they could crush the olives because that was really the only way to get the, the olive oil out of the olives. The Hebrew word for a press is gat. The Hebrew word for olive oil is shemen. So an olive press, an olive oil press was known as a gat shemen, which is the same thing as the word for Gethsemane comes from. See, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives the night before his crucifixion that Jesus was crushed. He felt crushed. As he agonized, he was sweating drops of blood. 
That's not coincidence. And, and, and what all this ought to say to us is that what God promises, he delivers. See, God has been in control since creation. God was in control at the time of Jesus. And God's in control now. God's timing is perfect. It's no coincidence. And what that means is that your life is not a series of random coincidences. God has a design for your life. And you might say, really? Look at my life. Have you seen my life? There's a design here? You know, and life can seem to be like a tapestry. You know, a tapestry is a beautiful, colorful piece of fabric on the front. But have you ever seen the back of a tapestry? It's a messed up jumble of thread. And if you view it from the backside, you'll see things that are tangled and frayed. Occasionally they're knotted and certainly it seems random. Nothing really makes sense. And much of the time during this tangled mess of life, with all of its loose ends and its seemingly random threads, we fail to see God's design. It's, it's at this point that apost- it's not surprising that people lose hope. Whether it's a devastating diagnosis, whether it's an accident, whether it's a death, or whether it's a divorce, it's at this point that many people abandon faith. Because they're unable to reconcile what their experience is with the idea of a loving God. And I get it. I really do get it. And if you think that I'm going to completely dissolve that tension this morning, you're going to be disappointed. Because I can't. I can't make that tension go away. But what I can do is point us to John chapter 11 and tell you that things are not always as they seem. See, in John chapter 11, we find the story, you may be familiar with it, of a guy named Lazarus. Lazarus and his whole family, his sisters and everybody, they were really good friends of Jesus. I don't mean just kind of good friends. They were really good friends of Jesus. And Jesus at that time, at the time of this story, was about a day's journey away from where Lazarus lived. And Lazarus was sick. He must have been really sick because they sent somebody to go find Jesus. And a day's journey away, he comes and tells Jesus, hey, your good friend Lazarus is really sick. And Jesus says, essentially, thank you. The guy goes back, and then Jesus waits two more days travels to where Lazarus is, and he shows up, and Lazarus is dead. Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, are 
devastated. They're crushed. Disillusioned. In fact, each one of them separately said to Jesus, you know, if you'd only been here, this wouldn't have happened. They were just completely, I imagine, disillusioned with who Jesus was and a good God. And you're good friends with Lazarus. You're good friends of our family. What happened? But see, they couldn't have known that Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. They couldn't have known that they were going to see God's glory. All they could see was the moment, this this jumble of thread. And when life appears to be random, you've got to remind yourself that you're looking at the backside of a tapestry. It's only when you see the other side, the finished side, that you'll realize what God's been weaving in and through your life all along. This idea is is not about finding a silver lining in in an otherwise dark cloud and calling it God. People do that all the time. In fact, people that don't even believe in God do that all the time. This is about noticing God's activity in your life connecting the the dots and saying, wow, being amazed that God has given you a glimpse into his perspective. Let me give you an example. About 10 years ago, I was on my way to a mission trip to um, South Asia, and I was there with my good friend Kevin, and we were making a connection in Chicago. We were sitting in the O'Hare airport. And we're just sitting there. Kevin has his Bible out, and he's reading his Bible. He's brushing up on what he's going to say when we get to South Asia. I was probably playing on my phone or something. I don't know. But he, was, he had his Bible out. And wouldn't you know, this, this maintenance worker in the American Airlines has his, had his shirt on and everything. He walks by, and he sees Kevin reading the Bible, and he just walks by, and he goes, Hey, good book. And he just keeps on walking. And I looked at Kevin, I'm like, what was that? He goes, I don't even know. Well, a few minutes later, the guy comes back, and he sits down by Kevin, and he starts asking him questions like, what are you doing? Why do you have your Bible out? Where are you going? What are you doing there? And somewhere in about this, this time in the conversation, his eyes got real big, and he goes, you're the ones I've been praying for. And Kevin and I both look at him like, What? He, just, he said, God revealed to me that he was sending missionaries throughout the world through the terminal that I work at and that I should be praying for those missionaries. And he says, and you're the ones I've been praying for. I'm just saying, it takes a lot more faith to believe that that's coincidence than it does to believe in God. See, God is at work around you to get your attention. Because his design is for you to have a personal, intimate relationship with him. Let's see what, we'll see what Paul says. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
See, Abba has no perfect equivalent in English. But it conveys the idea of a safe, intimate, vulnerable, transparent relationship that you can have with your Heavenly Father. Unlike any relationship that you'll ever know in this life with another person. The word Abba, this, this word Abba is only used three times in all of Scripture. The only time that we have recorded that Jesus used it was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he was arrested and crucified. When he was praying to his heavenly Father in what perhaps was his most vulnerable moment. In Mark, it says he, that Jesus said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Just take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. That was one use time that was recorded that Abba was used. There's two other times. Paul used it both times. The first one is here. We just read in Galatians. The other time is in Romans. Both times Paul uses it to liken our relationship with our Heavenly Father to adoption. See, God's design is for those who choose to follow him to have an intimate relationship with him. To experience the full expression of the mercy, of his mercy and grace as adopted children in a forever family. Abba says that those who know God can call on him at their most vulnerable times. But they can also call on him at their best times, at their most euphoric times. Because there's never a time in which God is missing in action. So it boils down to this. Principle th- life principle number three is that God's activity is your invitation. See, you can believe that God's always at work around you. You can believe that God's timing is perfect. But if you don't get this last principle, then all this has been is just an intellectual or exercise. If you don't put this last principle into practice, all it's been is, is theory. So God's activity is your invitation. When you recognize God moving around you, whether it's through people or through circumstances, that's your invitation to be part of what God is doing. And you might say, well, how does, how does that work? Let me tell you another story. You may know that Grace Point is known throughout this region, through northwest Arkansas, for being a church that loves foster and adoptive families through our Mosaic ministry. What you may not know is that Mosaic is a direct response to God's activity. Ten years ago, Mike and some others were, were praying about a strategic local ministry for Grace Point. In fact, one of the members went to a conference where they were talking about, uh, based on James one twenty seven, where it says, true devotion, the kind that is pure and faultless before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their difficulty. And he came back from that conference and he said, we have got to do something about the orphan situation. And, and Mike was preparing a Sunday message to talk about just that, to talk about orphans. That was going to be on Sunday. Two days before, on Friday night, 
the Blind Side movie came out, or they, at least they went to go, Mark and Lori went to go see it. If you've seen Blind Side movie, you know that it's about a family that adopts a guy. And Mike and Lori, Mike says they came out of that movie just blubbering. Not because it was just a good story. But because it reminded them of an opportunity they had not taken in Zambia. They had an opportunity to adopt an orphan in Zambia named Memory. And they didn't do it. And so they were experiencing this regret. And they lost track of her. They hadn't heard from her in four or five years. And so they're kind of (laughs) ugly crying. Wondering whatever happened to Memory. Wondering if they would ever find out what happened to Memory. That was Friday night. Saturday morning. After four or five years of no contact, they get an email from memory. All of this coalesced into the spark that ignited Mosaic. And now Mosaic has branched obviously far beyond just that. But there are, we, we've got a partnership with New Day Orphanage in Zambia. Under Caleb's leadership, Grace Point is known throughout this region as a church that loves foster and adoptive families through things like Foster Parents Night Out and Hope in WA and other initiatives. But it was all because God's activity was seen as an invitation. It wasn't just, well, that's very interesting. It was, that's God's working. And that's our invitation to be part of what he's doing. Because see, God's activity around you is not random. And it's not coincidence. It's your invitation. And you might say, well, that's a really cool story. But I don't have Mike's influence and I don't have Mike's resources. Okay, let let me tell you a personal story that's as fresh as three weeks ago. My wife Denise and I are, are in the process of downsizing, getting ready to move. And we're, uh, so we're selling some furniture and we decided that we were going to give the proceeds from this sale of this furniture to my granddaughter, Jenna, uh, who's going on a, a, a mission trip to South Africa with our son at the end of this month. And so we were going to give this, we're going to give this money, anything we sell through the, um, through Facebook marketplace, we're going to give it, we're going to give it to her. Three weeks ago today, um, I got a text from somebody that said, hey, is this, is this armoire still available? No, it was this, is this hutch? Is this hutch still available? And I said, yeah, it is. And so we went back and forth. And yes, it was in church. I was doing this back and forth. And um, she said, I'd really like to come pick it up. And I said, well, I can't do it until this afternoon. And I was wondering, should I even tell her that? Tell her why? I, I said, I felt God promised. I, said, I, I, I told her, I said, I'm in church right now. I'll be home at 1230, 1 o'clock, whatever it was. And you can come pick it up then. And in the process here, she had negotiated me down about 10 bucks. And when she came and we loaded the, uh, loaded the hutch onto her, onto her trailer, she gave me five bucks more than she had negotiated for. And she said, I'll keep the change. And I said, that's really 
I appreciate that because my granddaughter will really appreciate this because this money is going to help her on her mission trip to South Africa. The lady drives off. About five minutes later, she texts me. And she says, my mom and I have this online business that we've been doing for, we haven't been doing it for very long. We don't make a whole lot of money. But we decided some time ago that we were going to set aside 10% of everything we made of our profits. We we're just going to set that aside until God let us to use it for something. And we want to give it to your daughter, your granddaughter, for her mission trip. I said, really? Okay. And so the next day, I drive to her house. And she has a card written and an envelope with, with money in it. And this is what the card says. is, sweetheart, I don't know your name. But I'm very proud to be part of your answering the Lord's great commission. To go into all the world and teach the gospel. I pray for your safety. And that people's hearts will be open to receive the words of salvation. God bless you. And in it, she had $58. (laughs) Was that coincidence? No. That is God's spirit working in this lady, working in our obedience, and building my granddaughter Jenna's faith. That's what that is. I don't know where your relationship with God is, but what I do know is that there's a God who loves you infinitely, who is constantly working around you, whose timing is perfect. and He's inviting you to know him so intimately that you can call him Abba, Father. God's activity is your invitation. It's your move.